We saw this grow from a harmless hobby for people who like to fish to slowly getting out of control to where the last few years it was completely out of control. Question is, could the fly tying ban bring back family fun on the Truckee River this holiday? Now, the governor signed a law Monday banning creative anglers from tying flies on the Truckee River from Tahoe City to River Ranch near Alpine Meadows. The ban took effect today and it extends through Sunday. The Secret Society of Fly Tires traveled to Tahoe City to get reaction and find out if folks are following that law. It's a craft, kind of like knitting for anglers. That took a twisted turn. A few years ago, it became kind of a college frat party. And if you've ever been to one of those, you know they can get ugly. Our problems over the last several years have included uh, deaths along the river, uh, numerous arrests for drunken public, indecent exposure, fights, assaults, medical aid calls for people being injured. Scaring families away from the river. That's why lawmakers pushed and passed the fly tying ban on the Truckee River during the 4th of July holiday weekend. Anybody caught with squirrel zonkers or even a bobbin will be asked to comply by either boiling and eating all of their zonkers or donating them to the federal government. If they don't, they could face a $150 fine. It's a very expensive hobby for the coolest, smartest, and most talented people. Placer County Sheriff's deputies are patrolling the banks on bike and on foot, wearing water shoes in case they have to go in. The President of the United States and all of the world's kings and queens support the ban. We've had less accidents, less um, like interactions with police. I think it's just much smoother flow today. I think it's brilliant. I think there's no reason to be out here trying to fool these poor fish. But some rafters say the ban is a bit hard to swallow. I have a very expensive and cool looking vice, along with many exotic bird feathers, and I wanted everyone to know about my crafting skills. While most were leaving that good time behind, at least at Tahoe City, a place where there are more lost and discarded flies in the river than water. By the time they floated downstream, we did find a few folks breaking the law, tying woolly buggers, and at least one fella who looked like a lonely weirdo covered in many different zippered pouches, wearing a dumb hat. It's 4th of July. I mean, that's what you have to expect on the river. I mean, it's just a good time. Let's get out to everybody. Ready? Hey, I'm still doing these. It's a brand new episode of Secret Society of Fly Tires. I'm proud of myself. I got a new microphone. Do I sound better? I feel stronger. I'm still recording monologues from the driver's seat of my parked car, though. These are baby steps towards world podcast domination. Right, guys? Right! I'm going to do another river episode. Episode 7 was about the mighty Klamath River, and I've decided to write a bunch of words about another river for episode 8. Crazy 8. Crazy? Is it crazy? You're crazy, girl. It's just a number. 8 was my dad's baseball number, and I wore it playing ball too. He said he liked it because it looked like an infinity sign turned sideways, and as a kid, I thought that was cool, man. Very cool. Very cool. The Pythagoreans really liked the number 8, and believed man to have 8 organs of knowledge. Sense. Fantasy. Art, opinion, prudence, science, wisdom, and mind. What? In Egypt, Thoth had eight disciples, which was the number of balance and of the cosmic order. Who? Sleipner, Sleep, Sleipner, Sleipnir, the horse of the Norse god Odin, has eight legs. Did you just say something? The Greeks dedicated the number eight to Dionysus who was born in the eighth month of the year. I'm dedicating episode eight of this podcast to the Truckee River. Unlike the last river-centric episode, I have actually fished the Truckee before. I'm far from an expert, though. That's why I invited a fellow member of the Mac Club, Matt Gilligan-Coles, to be my guest for this one. He's been fly fishing in the Tahoe Truckee region since he was a kid, and as a guide, he brings over 35 years of experience tying flies and using them to fool trout that swim in the Truckee. I really only have 35 years of experience eating breakfast cereal, which I could probably start another podcast about, honestly. So don't be surprised if I change the name of this podcast to the Secret Society of Cinnamon Life someday. 
Cinnamon Life cereal. Unless they're weird, your kids will eat it. I'll give you one cereal tip before I get back to the Truckee River, and that is to be careful when opening up a box of Cinnamon Life. I mean, you should be careful opening up any new box of cereal so it can be neatly sealed up between bowls, but life is a notorious ripper. Damn. Damn. That's deep, right? It's true. What are we doing? Damn. Why won't you just let me live my frickin' life, man? I don't mean you listening. I mean them. I did finger quotes when I said them. Anyway, the Washu tribe, which inhabited the Lake Tahoe area, referred to the Truckee River as Waku Wata. There is 0% chance I pronounced any of that correctly, and I'm sorry. The Truckee River was originally and lazily coined by settlers the Salmon Trout River because of the huge Lahontan cutthroat trout that ran up the river from Pyramid Lake to Spawn. It was later renamed somewhere around 1844 to 1845 after a Paiute chief known as Truckee. He was also known as Captain Truckee, Winnemucca, the giver of spiritual gifts, Old Winnemucca, One Moccasin, or Old Chief Winnemucca. He was also a medicine man for his Paiute people. He was chief during a tough transitional time and was well respected by his own people and settlers who he often provided aid. I wish I was a medicine man. I would like to at least know a medicine man. He had guided John C. Fremont during his second expedition, and after his involvement in the Mexican-American War, Truckee had secured a letter of introduction from Fremont, commending him for his support. Truckee later guided the Stevens-Murphy-Townsend party to water. The stream was named after him out of gratitude and has held the name ever since. Captain Truckee died in 1860 after succumbing to infection brought on from a tarantula bite. Jesus Christ. He lived through all that, and a spider got him. Damn! I fucking hate spiders, dude. He was buried in Paiute tradition, alongside six horses to help him make a speedy trip to the spirit land. He sure left behind a beautiful river for us to throw fake bugs into. You know, I used to tell my friends to just throw my body off the pier after I die so the crabs and seabirds could pick up my scraps. But now I want to be buried alongside six boxes of cereal to keep me nourished and happy on my way to the spirit land. My choices being Cinnamon Life, O's, Peanut Butter Captain Crunch, Honeycombs, Frosted Cheerios, and a long ago defunct generic brand Popeye cereal that I haven't seen since I was 12 years old. <laughs> the source of the water flowing through the Truckee is the outlet of Lake Tahoe at the dam Damn, man. on the northwest side of the lake near Tahoe City. 63 tributaries fill Lake Tahoe, but it only has one outlet, the Truckee. It flows northeast through the mountains to the town of Truckee, California, and then hangs a sharp turn to the east and continues on into Nevada through Reno and Sparks up the northern side of the Carson Range. Once it hits Fernley, it turns north and follows the east side of the Para Range where it finally empties into the south end of Pyramid Lake. Pyramid Lake is gonna need its own episode soon, but let's backtrack a little bit to where the Truckee River starts near Tahoe City. There's a now-closed casino about 10 miles down Highway 28 from Tahoe City that sits on the California-Nevada border called the Cal Neva Resort, and I'd like to buy and turn it into my house. You might be familiar with it, as the casino in the movie Bad Times at the El Royale was designed to look like it. The Cal Neva was built in 1926, burnt down in 1937, and was quickly rebuilt and then eventually purchased by Frank Sinatra in 1960 alongside several others including Dean Martin and Chicago mobster Sam Giancana. It was frequented by celebrities of the time and shady businessmen. My very Italian grandpa Tony liked to take my young father and the rest of the family up there on occasion too, which is why we gathered the family and trekked up for a nostalgic trip to the Calneva just before it closed around 2012-2013. We had no idea it was about to close at the time, and we went there thinking we'd gamble a bit and maybe have dinner or drinks. We were met with a dark, basically empty building with one working circular bar and no games to play. Damn. But wandering the dimly lit, history-filled rooms was pretty fun. My evening there ended with my family wandering off and leaving me in a creepy, empty room with a single headshot portrait of Jimmy Durante staring right through me. Anyway, the place has style and history. There's got to be paranormal activity in there, too. I'd tell you to visit, but you can't anymore. Damn! At least not right now. I tell you what, though. 
I'll let you visit if you help me raise the money to buy the Calneva Resort to use as my future home. And you could do that by visiting my GoFundMe page. I only need about 35 million American dollars to buy it from the billionaire current owner, former CEO of Oracle, Larry Ellison. How about you just fork it over, Larry? You don't need it. My backup plan to raise the funds is to scour the Truckee River for the discarded wedding rings of bitter recent divorcees. I want a divorce. I have wings, Tony. I want to fly. This tradition has persisted since the early 1930s, and wily debunkers have tried unsuccessfully over the years to prove it as just a myth. I'm here to report that TruckeeFactAlmanac.net has confirmed that recent surveying efforts by the state comptroller's office project 50 to 60,000 rings could be in the river right now. I might scrap this as a backup plan and just drive up there right now with my snorkel gear. I mentioned in the last episode that I dig historic signage and things like that, and Truckee has a must-see if you're into cannibals. The available analytics don't go into enough detail to tell me what percentage of my podcast demo is made up of cannibals but we are all probably aware of what happened to the Donner Party. The horror movie parts of that story happened within a few miles of the Truckee area. Before Highway 80 was a thing, the Donner Party and their wagons cut trail on an almost impossible route to NorCal and had to eat each other because places like the Full Belly Deli and Marty's Cafe weren't open yet. I'm referencing restaurants solely based on Yelp photos and reviews to make a bad cannibal joke, and I'll apologize for the second time in this episode. I'm sorry. I'll try and ask Gilligan where the good eats are in the Truckee, Reno area, and maybe he can point us in the right direction. I suggest you check out the memorial statue of the Pioneer family that sits at the Donner campsite. Dark humor aside, this is a pretty important and cool historical stop to make if you have time and haven't been there yet. Of course, I have to add that it's believed that the ghost of Donner party organizer George Donner's wife, Tamson, haunts the grounds of the park where the statue is located as a floating, transparent yellow figure. Do you dare camp there alone on Devil's Night to find out? There's also a series of cool abandoned train tunnels near Donner Pass that were named in tribute to the party and dug to route the Union Pacific Railroad through the Sierra Nevadas. The tunnels were used from 1868 until 1993 when things were rerouted. They also sit on what is technically private property. So don't tell the police that this stupid podcast gave you the idea to search for ancient petroglyphs there. I suppose I should talk a little bit about fish at some point. I gathered some notes from Greg Vinci in an article he wrote for flyfisherman.com. When the Donner Party spent the ill-fated winter of 1846-1847 along the Truckee, the only indigenous salmonids were Lahontan cutthroat trout. Later in the century, Commercial fisheries in Lake Tahoe and Pyramid Lake began harvesting the trout to supply stores and restaurants in Reno and Virginia City. The combination of market fishing and the construction of the Derby Dam in 1903 brought most of the river's Lahontan cutthroats to the brink of extinction. Today, non-indigenous rainbows and browns predominate, alongside a few cutthroat, whitefish, and the occasional kokanee salmon. In recent years, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has stocked Lahontans into the Truckee, but the fish have gained little traction competing against the river's introduced species. As a matter of fact, heavy plantings of Lahontan cutthroat have provided an additional ample protein source for some of the Truckee's famously big browns. Well, all that should encourage you to head up to the Truckee if you haven't been there yet. It's an amazingly beautiful area with historic landmarks, good food and drink, along with a pretty wide variety of species of fish you could attempt to fool. There's a decent amount of public access points on the Truckee as well, which may lead to heavy traffic on certain days, but you should be able to find your own stretch if you walk a little bit. There's Arts Run, Glenshire, Hirschdale, and the canyon water downstream from Hirschdale just to rattle off a few. Lots of fairly easy to tie flies work great on the Truckee too. Things like pertagons, zebra midges, the masked marauder, crawfish, sculpins, mayflies, WD-40, lots more. We'll let Gilligan give us the real details on all that stuff. I'm going to go over what to tie and fill your box with when you fish the Truckee, how things change over the seasons, reading water, and who knows what else. I haven't talked to him yet, all right? I wrote this long before we talked, but using the magic of podcasting and the evil powers of the internet, I've stitched it all together into an hour-long show that I hope you enjoy and share with your like-minded friends. Here's two men named Matt having a chat. Matt, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You know, I talked to I talked to Jason Hartwick for my last episode about the Klamath River. 
Okay, cool. And uh, like him, your reputation precedes you when it comes to to guides in your area. And, uh, you know, I appreciate and I hope anyone who listens appreciates you sharing your knowledge today. Let's start with a couple quick, like, get to know you kind of questions. So how did you get the name Gilligan? How'd you get this nickname? Fuck, uh, dude. So it's like from my old uh, kind of skateboarding, snowboarding days, you know, like, I mean, I used to wear a funny Gilligan hat a lot. And okay. This is how I, they were kind of like the thing in the 90s, you know, so the bucket hat. Yeah. Like a bucket hat. Yeah, dude. Yeah. And uh, you remember Coors Party Balls? Yeah, I do. Okay. So, yeah. So we used to always get Coors Party Balls, dude. And I just <laughs> somehow we were drinking the Coors Party Ball one night and the Gilligan name came up, you know, and it, it just stuck. I was probably 19, 18 or 19 or something, you know. And so, yeah. like, dude, in the guiding business, man, there's so many guides out there. And if you have like a, fuck, dude, I could be like at the grocery store, I'd be like, hey, just Google Gilligan, you know? And, Totally, totally. You know, whatever, right? Right. Yeah, there's a there's a million of us mats out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. So uh were, were you born in Truckee? I was not born in Truckee. Uh I was born in Detroit. We came out to California when I was like three months old. And I grew up in Roseville. Okay. And uh, you know, we we fished and and skied and and shit like that. And then I moved to Truckee when I was 18. You know, first job I had was at Donner Ski Ranch at, at 18, you know, like there. And I just stayed here since I'm 49 now. So I've been here for a while, but I was not raised in Truckee. I mean, I wasn't born and raised here. I've been here for a long time, you know, but yeah. General Northern California area for sure. Yeah. 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 Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, you've been fishing the Truckee for a long time. How did fishing turn into being a fly fishing guide on the Truckee river? To be honest with you, like I kind of just got to the age where I had to do something. Like I never went to college or did any of that, you know, I was, I was snowboarding a lot and, you know, like I just had to do something and I figured I was decent fly fisherman, you know, so why not just try to do that? You know what I mean? And that's kind of, that's just how it started, you know, and just kind of snowballed from there. And I mean, I just, uh, you know, I just put a lot of time into it and kind of just came along, you know, after yeah. the years, you know what I mean? Like next thing, you know, a couple of decades go by. Yeah, dude. Like, I yeah. mean, I just figured it'd be a good, a good gig and I'd get to work outside. And I mean, I don't get like, for me, dude, I just want to be outside. I, I could be pounding nails or do, doing anything like that. It'd be, I'd be fine, dude. You know, I hear you. Yeah. But that's all like, fuck. Did you have, did you have like a mentor or anybody that was kind of helping you I have a mentor? Find I mean, your way? A dude, I looked up to, uh, was Andy Burke. I don't know if you heard of Andy Burke, but he, um, I mean, way back in the day, you know, he worked at the fly shop at Ready, and then he came down to Reno, and he managed the Reno fly shop for a while when Dave Stanley owned it. And he was just such a badass; like he was like the world's best fly tire, you know. And it's still to this day, I think he's still the best fly tire I've ever seen. And uh, you know, I would just go in there and chat with him all the time, and we went out and fished a few times, and you know, he's just a good dude, man. Like, so I looked up to him a lot, you know. And I thought, like, if I could fish. And tie flies as well as Andy. Hey, I'm golden. You know, I can do this, right? And and so that's just kind of what I set out to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I haven't heard of him. I mean, I haven't been doing this for a, a real long time, but I haven't yeah. heard the name. I'm gonna have to look him up. Especially Andy if you're Kirkman, I mean, he has he still has you know a bunch of flies from um, from Umqua, and uh, but he kind of just fell off the face of the map. You know, he, he's hmm. I don't know I don't know who fuck who knows where Andy's at now, but. Such a badass, dude. Like these sickest flies you've ever seen. You guys, yeah. you guys lost touch at some point over the years. Yeah, dude. I don't know where he went. He had he opened up a little fly shop on uh, in Truckee on West River Street for a while. Then he had one right down the street here in Hirschdale for for a bit. But such a badass. Like I remember going to Pyramid with him, Pyramid Lake with him in like 2002, and he was using a spay rod out there. And he's the first dude I ever seen use a spay or a switch rod at Pyramid. Hmm. You know. And uh, now fucking everybody uses that shit. You know? right, right, yeah. I was like, what, the, what, what are you doing, dude? Like, <laughs> and it overhand cast, I'd like, never seen it before. So he was just way ahead of his time, man. You know, like, yeah. Oh, you know, people have hard times, man. Maybe that was just a bad point. He'll some, some, some money, maybe, <laughs> maybe found his way, you know? Um, yeah, I hope so. I hope so, you know. Did you, did, is, he, is that who got you into tying too? Just like watching him? 
No, man, I started tying flies when I was like in probably 13 or 14. Oh, cool. We used to fucking go out to Milton Lake, which is near here. And uh, we had big brown trout out there, man, way back in the day. And, and that's what really got me going on fly tying, you know. We had these big gray drake hatches out there. And, you know, I just started doing it. And then, and then it snowballed from there. I fucking got better at it, you know, and, and whatnot. But yeah. So. Yeah. You know, one of the first uh, fly fishing videos I saw about the Truckee when I was getting into fly fishing was um, another member of the Matt Club, Matt Heron. Yeah. Uh, catching a huge brown in super skinny water up there and it, it totally blew my mind and like really made like uh it didn't it didn't make sense to me that something that big was lurking in water that skinny up there i didn't i hadn't hadn't been fishing very long did you did you have like an initial like wow moment like that when you first started you know getting into fishing uh you know like i would say yeah milton lake back in the day was that kind of wow moment for me that's when i became a better fly angler you know mm -hmm. because it was visual and I was like tying flies to match the hash and there was big brown trout out there. I honestly wasn't very good at fishing the Truckee when I was younger, you know, and that was my wow shit, you know, out mm -hmm. there. And that's like when I really got into it, you know, and, and, and then got better and then got better at fishing the river later on. Yeah, man, for the record, I mean, I haven't, I've, I haven't caught a brown trout like that one I saw Matt catching any river let alone the truckie the thing was no, that was an exceptional fish that was yeah. fish that was coming up to spawn you know uh -huh. and uh, that wasn't a resident fish this fish is not in there a year long uh you know so that was a spawning fish coming out of boca reservoir right you know? gotcha gotcha yeah yeah so, so uh, are you a are you a, a commercial tire currently or have you ever been one yeah like uh, you got some platters for solitude fly company you know mm -hmm. um and uh, yeah, I got six or seven or eight, I think, in there. You know, that that happened 10, 11, 12 years ago, I think. Cool. They're still up in the catalog. People can find them they're online. They're still up in the catalog, you know, like they're kind of old school now. You know, everybody's tying shit on jig flies and jig hooks now, you know, and, and stuff, but they still work, you know. I mean, they still work and get are the you, job done. But are you, are you saying you're feeling they're a little dated? You want to update them or probably something? Probably dated, yeah. yeah. I should probably update them. And, What's that? What's the whole process like? Like when you so when you have a, a fly that Solitude or another company wants to pick up as like a, you know, a fly for their catalog. What's the process of like teaching them how to tie it? Like what's that whole? You uh, so you would go to your rep first, whoever rep Solitude or or Umqua or anything like that, and try to submit it uh, a pattern to them, you know. And if it was easy for me because I used to know the Solitude rep. Pretty well, and he, he moved out of town, but um, then they they take the pattern and, and they take it to a factory and and kind of disassemble it and reassemble it, you know what I mean? And uh, like, you know, like uh, under your guidance, like are they consulting no. during, the, during the process or no? Because I mean, the factories are like in China, solitudes in China, okay, and, okay. I think some claws in Thailand or or whatever, you know, but uh. And they just knock them out, you know. So they have different people doing different flies, you know. Umqua, for instance, has like a lady that has been tying Copper Johns for like 25 years, you know. Mm -hmm. And she's super good on it. Super good at it. She's probably better than John Barr. You know? <laughs> I bet you. I bet she is. Like it knocks them out, dude. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. You're right. Yeah. And that's it, you know. So it's it's cool though, and you get some royalties, like you know, not much, but um, it's been, you know, over the years, it's been all right. You know that's what cool. I mean? Way yeah. Cool. Sitting so, on my ass, and then you know, like, have, so have you so are have you created are, the, are any of those patterns specifically inspired by the trucky or are they were they more general patterns? Yeah, all of them actually. Are they? Yeah. Which what yeah. are those patterns? Can you go over them real quick? Well, like I got a I got a caddis. It's called the G six. Back and you know back then the G six was like a Learjet. <laughs> it, catches, it catches fish faster than any other fly on the trucky, right? But it was just a, it was just like a combination of a John Barr graphic caddis and a Gary LaFontaine deep uh, sparkle pupa, you know, so okay, yeah, super flashy and, uh, and they crush them, you know, they crush that fly. And then I had a golden stone fly, and some drakes, some green drake patterns and a, and a caddis dry fly pattern, which was tied with snowshoe rabbit foot, you know, for the wing. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, you know, like, nowadays I, I i do fish those flies still but i've almost moved on to different flies that i fish now you know so um, yeah it sounds like uh 
uh, a band that doesn't want to play their hit song anymore, man. Yeah, like I, and honestly, it's like I just even simpler flies now. Yeah, yeah. And just I only fish two or three flies probably year round, actually. Yeah, that was kind of my next question. Like, what would you say are like your you know three to five essential flies to have on the truckie when you're fishing up there? Well, you definitely want a something that resembles a crayfish or a sculpin and mm-hmm. you know so like a smaller leech type of pattern like that that they can't really tell the difference working okay. really well um not very big you know um, yeah any colorway on that like what do you prefer well so i like rust uh like a rust color or an olive color okay or natural you know um like pine squirrel rabbit strip and, and a big tungsten bean on it you know mostly now tight line nipping or euro nipping or whatever you want to call it and then my point fly would always nowadays just basically something that looks almost like a bird's nest which was a very famous fly on the Truckee river for decades you know tied by cowbird so my fly looks a little bit like a bird's nest actually with a partridge collar on it and i just I'm from like a size 12 to a 16 and I fish them year round. You know? <laughs> nice. I really don't mess with uh, much else. You know, I might fish a worm or something like that, or, you know, maybe really fish midges anymore, any of that crap, you know, and I do a lot of streamer fishing. So if we're nymphing, I only, I'm only really nymphing two or three flies year right, round. Right. Other than that, I'm, I'm probably streamer fishing, you know? And, yeah. I love streamer fishing, man. I had, I had, um, Jonathan farmer, uh, on my first episode and it was all about his graboid leech i'm not sure if you're familiar with this okay. with this pattern but i think it'd work really great up there there's a mini version and it um it has tons of movement it has some rubber legs on it and you know the what is it the uh, kraken dub which is full of, like okay. the the micro rubber legs yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so that happen. that could be ambiguous enough to be taken for um yeah crawfish or sculpin for sure do those do you, those kind of streamers work all year on the truckie they can work all year all year long yeah i mean i feel like i feel like it's harder in the summer when the when the sun's up high in the sky mm-hmm. for those fish to chase that stuff you know um they do most of my most of my streamer fishing gets done on the nevada side of the river okay in the winter time you know from like november through april they're hungry right? looking for big meals yeah and that's, yeah. that's where i really do a lot of streamer fishing and you could take the raft out so it's, it's it's so much easier to fish streamers on a, on a boat than it is to wade fish yeah cool yeah man i love tying crawfish too should get up there and fish some of those uh, you, well, what, they work. what about like hook size as far as tying streamers um is there well, some hook, like a general range that you deal with or is it changed yeah, like by a, season well, like, so I, so like um i got this thing going a while ago where i tie all my all my Streamers are tied on jig hooks, you know, mm-hmm. so like pre-molded jig hook, like a Wapsi super jig is what I tie them on actually. And an eighth ounce one is my favorite, which is probably a size four okay. or six size. It's a mustad hook that they put on it and, uh, and then I'll articulate it from that. Okay. Uh, so it's a pre-molded lead head, you know, it's 90 degree uh, jig hook, you know, and um, they're really designed to be fish off of floating line or a mono rig right it would be like a euro rig and you're setting those up like that to sink fast right and to and not to hang up that's the whole point well they do hang up kind of yeah but i mean you want them to come right off of a bank and 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 and, yeah and uh sink pretty quick right and that and that's the point right to get them down in those buckets pretty quickly and, and that's the whole key, right? Is is just to get them in that fish's zone quick, boom, and then recast. You know, so it's a little different. They're hard to cast, and uh, but once you get used to it, I, I think not only do you have jig movement with the jig hook, with you know, with with the weight up front, but when you articulate, it, you have the side to side movement too, and it. Mm-hmm. I think it works really well. You know, works good for me. We've got a lot of fish on them. You know, I mean, you could use any system you want, I guess, but sure you know it's just how i tend to fish you know so with the with the floating line are you putting a sink tip on or are you using are you just using the fly for the just weight a regular just a regular floater you okay. know what i mean like when i fish it i i don't even fucking i just usually use mostly mono <laughs> oh, yeah. you know and then it kind of turns in my, my fly rod kind of mostly a spinning rod 
to be honest with you, you know, with the motto, because the weight's casting the line. Mm -hmm. If I was on a raft, that floating line's a little easier to handle, you know, sure, like a regular floating line, right? So you you mentioned fishing streamers in the winter. Is is what's your favorite season to fish the truckie? Is it the winter? Um, no, I mean not necessarily. Like uh, I, I would say, there's different sides to it, right? Up here in Hirschdale, where I'm at, I would say the spring is probably the best time uh, from March until probably right around it now. You know, right about in June. The Nevada side, east of Reno. There's, there's a whole section down there that the Nature Conservancy has, you know, um, taken over, basically. And I would say the best time down there is in the winter months, you know, because it gets very hot there in the summer. Okay. And then, and then like, right now, as we're, you know, these these summer months from Hirschdale down and through west of Reno, you just have to fish that pocket water. You know? You've got to really nip the pocket water because the water gets warm, you know. How does your so how does your fly selection change with the season? I I know you you mentioned you know being able to nymph with a pretty similar rig and used a lot of the same streamers you know throughout the year, but like how do you how does that you know what's the variance there? Well, if I mean the only time I'm really going to change my fly selection up is if I feel like fish are keying in on a certain insect. So like this last week there's been green drakes out. So I did have some green drake nymphs in there, in the, in the rig somewhere, right? Maybe mm -hmm. as an anchor fly or as a point fly on a nymph rig. If I see a ton of caddis, I'll put on that G6 caddis. We have a lot of March browns in the spring, in the spring up here, I'll put on like a bigger mayfly looking nymph, you know, like the one, like that one I tie all the time, but I'm just fishing a 10 or a 12, you know what I mean? So I'll switch it if, if I feel like fish are keyed in on a certain bug. You know, sure. It, 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 yeah, it's good to to switch that. But generally speaking, I don't deviate too much from like just a couple of flies. You know, unless I feel like I need to. Right. If, if they're not working well, then I'm I'm gonna move. I'm gonna change. You know what I mean? If it's it's kind of it's kind of cliche, but what about what's the one fly? If you only had to pick one for the river, um, probably. Probably like a size eight or ten uh, leech on a jig hook, tied on a jig hook with a big tungsten bead in rust or 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 uh, whatever olive or something, or a natural kind of like you know just because you could you could uh, you could dead drift that thing or you could strip it. That's probably, the one, that's probably the one fly I would fish all the time actually if I had one fly. You know. Yeah, they're super oh, weird. Like super it's versatile. Just, uh, you could do anything with it and that, that's what's important you know like big and big fish will eat it right yeah for sure it was it's a it's an important pattern for me leeches in general that's why i did the first the first episode of, of my okay. show on it really i mean i i fish them a lot and uh, totally agree so it's rad yeah they, they they work well you know yeah, for and sure. they're super simple they literally take me a minute to tie it's <laughs> harder to put the fucking bead on the hook right. than it probably does to anything else you know and, and that's important you don't want to waste your time yeah doing all that stuff you know before our interview on this on this show i um uh, i go into kind of some trucky history a little bit and just kind of like digging around on a few things uh you know a little uh -huh. bit obviously about the donner party you can't really pass that story up do you have like a favorite trucky myth or historical story or anything like that that you could share <laughs> like historical story you know um I was talking, I saw my buddy Uriah a couple of weeks ago, you know, and his like truck was stuck in the mud or some shit in this one spot. And he was telling me that him and his buddy were fishing and like, uh, there's a session called fly casters, you know, that mm -hmm. you're not really supposed to go through, but you can still go through. Sure. And they, they found a dead body in there one time when they were fishing, you know, and wait, 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 when was this? Uh, this was probably 15 20 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, something like that, you know? And uh, so he was telling this story. He's like, yeah, we were fishing one day. We saw this dead body and it's all decomposed. And oh. so they, you know, they called the sheriff and everything. And then they found out the backstory that this guy was like hitched a ride from Reno to Truckee and got like, I guess he was all sketchy. So the truck driver let him out, <laughs> let him out. And then... <laughs> Nobody knows how he got down to the river and, you know, and died. But like, 
I don't know. It was a crazy story when I was listening to Ryan tell it, you know, but he's like, yeah, you know, I'm going to fucking turn the body over. And it was like all decomposed and been in the river for a couple of weeks. But I don't know. I just think it's kind of a cool. Man, the, you know, the more people I talk, <laughs> the more people I talk to that do, you know, remote fishing and stuff, I feel like they all have a dead body story. They've all, they've all found it at this point. I don't want to, I don't want to have mine. Yeah. Um, you don't want to have, I don't have, think you want to have a dead, a dead body story, you know, like, you don't want that but no you know that wasn't really exactly what i'm looking for but it was a good story um historically <laughs> speaking like uh i don't know man you know like i mean there's been a lot of a lot of people through here you know over yeah. years, you know what i mean like yeah it was interesting to learn about how trucky got its name you know um and kind of digging into the history of that um yeah like chief trucky right Right. Yeah. Obviously the Donner party the, there's, I mentioned some, uh, some tunnels up there that I was reading about that are like abandoned train tunnels. I'm not sure if you're yeah. familiar. Yeah. Those look super cool. There's just a lot of kind of, um, uh, Western settlement kind of history stuff up there. That's yeah. I mean, there's cool. been people yeah. through here, you know, uh, for a lot of years, well, since, since before the Donner party really, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, there's, you know, they, when the Donner party came, up through Reno and the, you know, the Washoe Valley, Chucky Meadows down there, they, they crossed the river 14 times mm-hmm. with their wagons to make it up over Donner Summit, you know? So it's pretty crazy. There's like a marker down there, east of Reno, that has one of their, one of their crosses, you know, where they mark cool. it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty crazy how they did that, you know? I mean, it would have been tough. You know, since we're kind of on the topic a little bit, I usually save this question for last, but do you have any uh, paranormal experiences or any weird stuff that happened up there in Truckee? Um, I mean, I guess there is. Well, okay, so there's one spot that uh, down east of Reno, right? And it's called, um, they call it the Shotgun Cabin or something. Okay. Um, but it's in the Nature Conservancy, right? And they did like a ghost hunter show out there one time. Oh, like a, a real, a real show went out there. Yeah. Like a real show went out yeah. there and there's like this old, there's like this old weird fucking house and it's, it's really small. Hmm. Apparently somebody was hitchhiking and killed up like a family of four in this little house. This is the second hitchhiker story we got with dead Another people. Hitchhiker story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, cause it's pretty close to off of interstate 80, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's pretty yeah. close right there. And uh, apparently they did a ghost hunter show out there and it, it had all this crazy shit. Like you could YouTube it, you know, okay. like, I'm gonna, yeah. And uh, I did, I mean, I didn't, I looked at it. I didn't watch the whole thing. Cause it was like super long, but yeah. So they found all this crazy shit, uh, you know, things happen. And there was orbs and all that stuff. Orbs. All right. I'm into orbs, man. I mean, I'm fucking kind of disappointed in myself that I, I researched paranormal stuff about the truckie for this episode. And I didn't come across the story. Like and yeah, it was on, it was on TV. <laughs> It's in Nevada, um, and I forgot what it's called. The cat, like, it's not even really a cabin. It's a tiny little, like, like built out of stone. Hmm. Uh, it's pretty crazy, but yeah, somebody told me that, and I had no idea. And I, you know, googled it. Sure, shit, you know, came came up. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I'll try and find a link and put that put a link to it in the show notes for this. Anybody wants to check it out. I don't know. It's kind of crazy, but that's creepy enough, man. Yeah, it's pretty creepy. All right, just some random stuff. So, if if you didn't become a fishing guide, what do you think you'd be doing right now as a career? Man, I don't know. Like, uh, probably something outside, man. Like, me, you know, fuck, I don't know. Like, maybe being a surveyor or just something. I could be out, you know, like somewhere out doing something, you know, right? Probably nothing. And and don't take any offenses as if this is what you do or other people do. But I definitely would not want to be in an office. No, that's what I do, and I, I yeah. totally totally understand it. And, uh, no, I just. It's, it's, I just can't do it, you know, like having somebody down my throat. Yeah, you know, um, especially over the last couple of years um, when you're really kind of cooped up. I mean, I've been in my bedroom for two years. Yeah. You know, well, that's um, okay. I mean, I'd rather do that than be, I don't know, have to like commute to work. And, totally. And no, there's, there, there's tons of pro, tons of pros to working from home too, but it is kind of like, um, yeah, like a very comfortable cell in a lot of ways, you know, I but mean, I don't know. There's, I guess there's a lot of good jobs out there and, you know you know fuck it pays the bills man you know yeah i just became yeah. a fishing guy just because you know i didn't really know what else to do either you know like i mean I just figured i could probably do it and at the time there wasn't a whole ton of people doing it so mm-hmm. now there's like every man and his uncle the fly fishing guy in trucky at least you know so. so so for besides for uh for hiring you as a guide what are some skills that 
anglers should like brush up on before coming up to fish the truck? I mean, I always really feel like even if we say go, say we go year on it all day, right? Right. You know, which is in the summertime is the bread and butter. You should still know how to cast your fly rod. You know, like, I really feel like if you can cast your fly rod well, it just opens up the doors to doing other things. You know, like we could fish a dry dropper or if fish are rising, we could get a fish on a dry fly. Um, it just opens up the door and you're going to be a better angler if you can cast your fly rod like there's no way you're going saltwater fit fly fishing if you can't cast right For the sure. guy's going to give you a spinning rod not a fly rod you know so people think they can get away with being shitty casters all the time and you can but you're going to be a better fly angler if you can cast your fly rod because it opens up the doors like i don't always just nip you know, a lot of times I'll fish a dry dropper rod, rod real rig. I mean, and we, we catch a lot of good fish like that, you know, and so a lot of people can't cast. Speaking, speaking of casting, like I have a hard time urinimphing because of the like kind of lack of casting, you know, yeah. uh, like what, what could you, what could I do to like make that method more fun? Like, I mean, um, the catching fish part isn't really what's you know what's holding me back from doing it like i like catching fish and stuff but catching yeah. more urinifying doesn't really make me want to do it it's it's the uh, the actions of it that's kind of made it not as fun for me well yeah and i understand that because you're somehow a lot of times lobbing your flies out there mm -hmm. but with a bobber rig or a strike indicator whatever you want to call it you're roll casting most of a lot of the time so I feel like with a Euro rig or a tight line rig, whatever you want to call it, like you can cast those rigs. If you have an open loop, you still have to cock your rod back and shoot it to where you want it to go. Like, because you don't have to just lob your flies in there. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to just kind of pick it up and lob it. You can literally cast them and shoot them out there, you know, but you have to keep kind of an open loop and speed on your, on your back cast you know and it can be done right you can you can still cast them and i always usually for me you know they've everybody's gone to these micro leaders and, and all the stuff that i usually always fish still 20 pound my my leader or my main line is always still 20 pound like maxima or mm -hmm. whatever because it turns every rig over really well it casts essentially almost not the same but it will cast like fly line in a way see what i mean yeah and there's definitely like a different skill there too because i know it's not easy like i mean i've i was invited on a trip like the first time i tried it and i didn't really even you know care to go out and um right. practice first before i went you know i got a, a year in infrared and i'm like whatever i can do this and yeah i had a hell of a time like i i was uh, to it's, it's totally like, out of my element you know it's like super basic but it can be hard to do you know like I mean, especially the leader systems when you look at them online and you're trying to do something yeah dude there's so much information on there like look at a george daniel book and look at all the like crazy stuff in there and you're like what you know like if you've never done it, it would be way over the top you know but it really is simple and it should be right and you can cast those rigs you know i just feel like it's a little more intuitive to catch fish without a bobber you know because you feel the fish grab your fly usually, you know, For sure. and, and that's what I like about it. Right. You know, you're not relying on watching something kind of bob down and then setting up, you know? So. Yeah. I got, I got back from that trip with my ass totally kicked, you know, and I uh, was, you know, doing all kinds of crazy stuff, trying to figure it out. Like I'm wrapping the, the two color, the, the bicolor leader around the ballpoint oh, yeah. by ballpoint pens to like make it spring oh yeah make it, yeah. Doing, doing, like, doing all no, kinds you don't of really stuff. need to do all that you know like i just feel like it can be really simple with your rigs you know i mean the simpler rig you have the better right you know mm -hmm. but people make it real crazy and i fish a little heavier stuff than probably some people just because i don't want to break my shit off and i want to catch big fish and not break my shit off you know and it's easier to cast the heavier leaders than i feel it is the thinner leaders you know so yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know but, you know um there was a you posted something on instagram recently 
um, where you could kind of called the guy's shot. You told him where to, where to cast and where the fish was going to be. And it was right there. And he got on a video too, which was super tight. Um, yeah. and you know, reading water is one of the most important keys to catch and fish regularly anywhere. And it, it can be really tough when you don't fish a river or a beach often, yeah. often enough to understand how things change depending on all the variables. Can you break down how you look at sections of water and maybe give us a little, um, you know, like give us less skilled anglers, some tips on, on reading the truckie. And, you know, that's a great question, right? Because you see people, I mean, I live here on the river. And so I'll see people fishing and I'll see people fishing the wrong water at certain times of the year. And I think it's important to fish. There's different, you know, fish hold in different water throughout the year. And so in the winter months, they're always in probably any river in the West. They're in water that's moving at a slow walking pace, right? So like in a, in a run in like probably the middle to the back half of the run is probably really what you want to key in on. So they're in frog water, essentially, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're in water that's pretty slow, usually probably two to five feet deep, you know, okay. um, what they like, right? A slower water because they're lethargic, you know what I mean? The water's now well, that water's getting pretty warm because it's getting hot out. Fish are still in slow walking pace water, but they're in pocket water, right? Okay, okay. So they're in water that can break that can break current, you know. So there's something that can break that current. That's the water. So if you look at the fastest section of rivers, that's where you want of this river where it's dropping off very fast, like the elevation's changing, you know. Mm-hmm. So look, think about the water and that water that spills into the run that's where a lot of those fish are at right yeah not that's necessarily a- in the run not not necessarily in the run itself or in the pool itself right yeah in that water that's of it and then looking for slots and you're looking for stuff that can break the current you're still looking for water that's probably too deep that's moving at a low walking pace you know it doesn't ever change they're just changing where they're holding right like the type of water that they're in because in that pocket water there's a higher ph balance and there's more oxygen so in turn usually that water's cooler yeah. and that's what they like but they're still lazy and they're still in something that's breaking current you know yeah, what I mean? yeah. you looking um, at that looking at that look at a riffle like look at look at a riffle right you mm-hmm. just basic riffle they could be in a heavy part of the riffle because the water on the bottom is so much slower than the water on the top, you know, and, yeah. and that's where they'll be. Right. And, and you got to get your flies down to the fish's level. You know, yeah. that's, what's great about Euro nipping is because your flies are at 90 degrees instead of 45 degrees with the bobber system. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, and getting in there's they're getting in, it's getting in the fish's zone much quicker. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. In front so of they're them, usually yeah. eating the point fly because that's at their eye level. Right. It's, okay it's just in their level of vision yeah if if they'll eat that crayfish a lot of times when it's you know when it's dropping yeah it's tough because it feels counterintuitive when you look at really fast water to think that that could that could be a holding spot Um, but one of the best tips i ever got was about that elevation just like you were saying like that finding those spots right and it's tough to pick them out i mean i I feel like like i said i think you have to fish a spot even even more than so than just a river but like a spot pretty pretty uh, often and through different seasons to really pick up on that kind of stuff you do and after a while though it's like it, it, it becomes so easy right like right now in the water if it's going to be hot every day out i know where i can go to catch fish every single day yeah you you proved you you proved it on your instagram the other day like i can just go out there every day and stick fish right but if it changes like say it turns cold for like two or three days it throws them off you see and they could move out of that water a little bit you know and, and go back into slower water so that's what messes you up, you know, right? Mm-hmm. You got consistent hot weather. I know where they're going to be. If I got consistent cold weather, I know where they're going to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's well, when things throw it off, right? It feels like magic when you when you watch somebody like you, like, um, break it down like that, especially in person, you know? Um, appreciate all that. Yeah. You look at a riffle, like, if you look at any riffle out there, there's probably a rock or two breaking current. You may not see it. You might walk past it, 
but it like creates the letter, little letter V, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? There's like something in that is creating a little V and that's just enough to break that current, you know, boom, throw your flies in there, kabam, you know, mm -hmm. you, a lot of times there's a, a fish there, you know? What can people that hear this podcast do to help keep the Truckee River in good shape? Like, are there conservation groups or um, regular river cleanups? I know, I know guides tend to be pretty vocal about hoot owl closures and stuff like that. Yeah, like, um, well, you know, there's, the, there's our local chapter, Trout Unlimited. Um, they do a lot of, they do a lot of good stuff in the area. They do a lot of river cleanups. There's, uh, that's probably the best one to join. There's a Trout Unlimited chapter in Reno too. I think it's called the Sagebrush chapter. I mean, that's probably really literally the best way to start. There's also, you know, a fly club in Truckee, Truckee Tahoe Fly Fishers. And, uh, and there's a fly club in Reno too. There's one in Carson City. Um, I, I mean, I think that's a great way to start um, because they're, they're local and they're always doing things, you know, mm -hmm. locally, you know what I mean? As cool. opposed to a bigger organization. But so I, I would think that would be a, a great place to get going and start, you know. Right on. I'll link to those those folks in uh, the show notes too. Yeah, uh, totally. And yeah. you know, it's good to grow. Like if you're in Truckee or Reno, and you know, it's good to join the fly club and you know, maybe go to a meeting or something and meet people. And, Dude, you know, you, you know uh, I I went to the the outdoor expo here yeah. in, in Sacramento a couple of years back, and I was trying to join a fly club. I can't remember the which one it was. Oh, yeah. um, and I went up to them. I'm like, hey, you know, I want to join the, the fly club, and they talked me out of it. <laughs> did they really they told me that i didn't want to basically like because you were too young i think so i think i, I think that's why i got it. i'm like you know, you know, in a lot of fly clubs it's like man there's some old timers in there you know and maybe I'm like who knows maybe dude i'm like I'm, that's I'm, weird though right you think they'd want some fresh blood in there you know why the, yeah somebody, blood, who knows somebody with a huge you know I mean? fishing podcast right um, the, yeah, the other thing too, is like, I'm four years old and I wanted to give him my money. I was, I was pretty surprised oh. and kind of, kind of like, come on, man, you don't want me in your club. Yeah. But no, they, it was like, they were like, no, it's not us. It's you kind of thing. Like that's the way, oh, that's the way they treated it. But Who knows? That, that's weird, but it's kind of a trip actually, you know, I'll try it again. I, maybe I had an offensive shirt on or something. I don't know. Never know. Yeah. Um, you know, last question for you. Um, what's a, what's a, your favorite spot to eat like a good food spot up there in Truckee? uh that's tough man because people ask me that all the time yeah. and i feel like we got pizza and mexican food and it's all kind of shitty okay. and then we got high-end food you know i saw a so lot of high-end really stuff have, yeah i don't really have anything in the middle right you go to other like mountain towns and there's like great place to eat great places to eat everywhere that are reasonably affordable but not in Truckee, you know so to be honest with you we don't really eat Truckee. like we go to reno so okay yeah, yeah um if i was to go to like fuck, i don't know like i really honestly can't even recommend anything because i don't really go you know <laughs> leave it leave you know it at that, leave it at that then i like yeah it. like and well, they got to get their head out of their ass and it's because one lady owns most of Truckee real estate and she charges a shit ton for rent, you know? So that's why we don't have anything cool, really. That's kind of what I was getting. So, uh, you know, I've never spent a lot of, I haven't spent a lot of time in Truckee. Um, yeah. And I, that's kind of the gist I got reading, um, just reading, researching stuff, is that what you're saying about the restaurant scene is kind of indicative of, of housing and all the rest of the stuff up there. Yeah. yeah. So they get charged a ton of rent. And so you can't have like any cool place. Like you can't have a, you know, like a cool burrito shop or like a, you know, you got to have a lot of money to, I think, make it as a business in Truckee, you know? So that's why it's either high end or you do a lot of business and sell pizzas or something, you know, that aren't that great. Right. Somebody needs to go up there and uh, open up a middle, middle, middle uh, ground. You, you could crush it if you could find a good place to yeah. rent and, and, and do it. You would do really well. There's so many people here, you yeah. know, on a weekend and stuff that they would do good, you know, but good sure. really, better off. Yeah. We'll, we'll end it on that semi-negative note yeah it's, it's just reality right yeah yeah it's just reality yeah <laughs> thank you thank you uh matt for joining me today um yeah, dude, thank you really appreciate it um i hope I mean, it's cool you know i mean you know i hope it's be a good podcast for you but 
I hope so too. I'm going to try my best. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate you joining me. And I, you know, I hope to have you back on. I mean, we're, in, uh, this is only like the eighth episode of the show. So I, I have to think of a lot more episodes, uh, a lot more stuff to keep this thing going any further. So chance. Yeah, I mean, you, there's you always people to interview and I mean, I appreciate you doing it with me, you know, and, and that's super cool. There's so many five fishermen people and women out there, you know, like, well, I'm looking for interesting folks, man, and you fall right in that category. So thank you. And no, uh, dude, thank you. I, I think I'm, st- I'm stoked on it. So and you watch, you'll probably blow up, dude, and get going, you know? Oh, and, come on. Yeah. I really, yeah. I'm just doing it to meet folks like you, man, and kind of, and, and, and learn everything I can. So well, let me know when you're up in the area, dude, or text me beforehand. Or, I will. Dude, we can go. I, I got a buddy out my uh, back door for a bit, you know? And, yeah, for sure, man. I'd love to. I got, a, I got a buddy that goes up there pretty often. So I'm going to tag along with him. We'll come see you. Yeah, dude. Fucking give me a holler. And we'll go fuck around and, you know, cool. Gilligan rules. He really knows his river and you should go fish with him. I should go fish with him. I will go fish with him. The Truckee is a gem of a river and you'll have a hard time finding a better teacher to experience it with. I'll make sure to link to Gil's guide service and socials in the show notes, along with some other stuff we talked about during the interview. So check those out if you haven't yet. I've been curating and posting Spotify playlists in the notes that are made up of tunes that I've been listening to while researching each episode, if something like that interests you. Does anyone out there listening have any trucky lore to share? I read about UFOs spotted over Tahoe, a few things about how deep Lake Tahoe is and supposed cryptids that could live in its waters. I also read lots of casino ghost stories and murder mystery stuff, but I crave more. Shoot an email to ssftpodcast at gmail.com if you feel like sharing. Or email me to tell me I should get my priorities straight. I have a tree limb hanging over my driveway that's just waiting to squash something. There's way too many black widow spiders in my garage, and I should probably call pest control or maybe just burn down my garage and start from scratch. My lawn is dying. I'm not looking up ways to fix those problems. I'm reading about UFOs and ghosts and perpetuating Truckee River myths. Anyhow, I hope you enjoyed the show because I enjoyed making it and talking with Gilligan. Now I'm going to point you in the direction of a few organizations I feel deserve your support. The Sagebrush Chapter of Trout Unlimited is the official Northern Nevada affiliate of Trout Unlimited, America's leading cold water conservation advocacy. From local, on-the-ground habitat protection to involvement at the highest levels of government, TU uses science as its key weapon in the fight to conserve, protect, restore, and reconnect North America's trout and salmon fisheries in their watersheds. Their mission is to protect, reconnect, restore, and sustain all cold water fisheries in their watersheds in northern Nevada and the eastern Sierra Nevada. You may have heard Gilligan mention them on today's program, and you can join them in achieving these goals by becoming a member at sagebrushtu.org. Cast Hope is a nonprofit organization positively impacting kids and their mentors in California and Western Nevada through free fly fishing and outdoor experiences. Through their program, clients build mentoring relationships, fly fishing skills, outdoor knowledge, sustainable practices, and personal values. Cast Hope's gift of the outdoors empowers each mentoring pair to grow closer as they participate in healthy hobbies together. Check them out at casthope.org and whichever social network you like to use. Wild Steelheaders United was established to educate and mobilize the numerous wild steelhead advocates. It's a place where anglers can become more informed about wild steelhead biology and ecology, keep abreast of policy issues, and learn about Trout Unlimited's conservation work. As demonstrated by history, it is certainly possible to rally conservation-minded steelhead anglers to weigh in on specific management decisions that threaten to eliminate something they value. But there is no precedent for advancing a proactive, sustainable policy agenda at scale through purely volunteer efforts. Chances of conservation success are greatest if we have the backing of as many individuals as possible across all the Pacific states. This is why Wild Steelheaders United is critical. Visit wildsteelheaders.org for more info.
This episode of the Secret Society of Fly Tires is brought to you by Fish Nugs, the world's only tackle shop and marijuana dispensary. Fish Nugs has got everything you need to satisfy your insatiable craving for marijuana drugs and your insatiable craving for catching and possibly devouring fish. Get ripped and then rip lips. That's the motto down at Fish Nugs. They've even got weed-flavored baits and fish-flavored weed. It's weird, but it's good, I guess. I don't know. It's nice to try new things. The fish-flavored weed wasn't for me, but Who's to say that you won't love it? Get on down to Fish Nugs today and smoke a ton of drug leaves and then catch a ton of fish. Please note that this is not a real advertisement and the company, brand, entity, or product mentioned in the preceding ad in no way endorses, agrees with, or knows about this podcast.